Hey, it's Bob Perkins here with the AAISP. I'm the original founder, but more importantly than being a founder, I'm an inside salesaholic. You're listening to the Sassholes, the Revenue Ops Greatness. Welcome to Sassholes, a show dedicated to issues within the software as a service industry. We are Revenue Ops with a... Hey. Jamie, Jason, KG, and Justin have a combined 100 years of making interesting decisions. Please subscribe to our weekly newsletter. More importantly, please subscribe to us on YouTube. That little click, I'm telling you, it tickles the algos, and all of a sudden, we're breaking the internet. All right, today's guest is Bob Perkins. KG. Just pick on the Justin's here. Pick on Justin, for God's sakes. Carney. Carney. Yeah. What what does a baby computer call his father? Data. Leave us some comments on our blog at sassholes.net. KG, we got any shout outs? Yeah, I got a couple of shout outs here. Let's see here. Well, happy birthday to our buddy Lauren Bailey. She was on the show. She told a joke that made Jamie blush. So happy birthday, <laughs> Lauren Bailey. And uh, uh, John Healy, who used to be with, uh, with uh, Lauren Bailey as a uh, I think her CRO. Happy birthday to my friend Amy Klemek, who was the chief uh, people officer at ZipRecruiter way back when. And happy birthday to one of my former um, sales leaders, sales managers, George Lawrence, formerly of USAMP. And then finally, uh, uh, happy birthday to my, my baby girl, Nausicaa, who just turned uh, just turned 20 last Saturday. And that's it. I just got a nice guy. Nice guy shout out. Nice guy shout out. Yeah. Patrick Vandy Vanderwall, he got a new job as VP of distribution at uh, GAC Media. Vandy is a Marquette alum, whoop, whoop, which means he's brilliant, and a local uh, Chicago radio sports um, host with Dan McNeil. So I wanted to give him a shout out there. Max Dan Morris. Dan McNeil. Max Morris used to work for me over at Flexera. Just got hired as People AI as an enterprise BDR. He wants to get back into sales. Um, and then Caroline Asplund, um, she just got promoted to manager of Shoreline Sightseeing. I'm giving that shout out because that's where my uh, my Caroline, my my oldest, works in Chicago. Uh, so if you're ever doing boats and want to see a boat cruise, go hit up Caroline Carney. Give her a call. She'll give you a deal. Drop the sassholes name. You get 20% off. I'm just making that up. Everybody's dropping it. Hey, Max Jansen's got promoted to Director of Sales at Cision. Way to go, kid. Beat me by four years. Son of a gun. Joel Cheeseman, two years at Pochio. Is that how you pronounce it? Pochio? Debanga yeah. De Bartman for seven years at CS, CSC Corp Tax. Congratulate Adam Julian for 10 years at the Boston Red Sox. Whoa. Dave Barrett, new position as enterprise manager, key accounts at ZipRecruiter. Amy Laughlin, remember her, guys? Six years at Paylocity. Bobby Allen, eight years at Vision Financial Markets. And then Travis Coppins, one year at Upwork. Way to go, Travis. Okay. KG, who is Bob Perkins? Can you read this? Yeah, who is? Who is Bob Perkins? Well, I, first of all, I like to think that uh, 
Bob and I are friends and I'm very influenced by Bob. But with over 30 years of executive leadership experience, Bob Perkins is a nationally recognized inside sales innovator who's determined to take our profession of inside sales to the next level of professional professionalism and performance. And back in 2006, Bob formed a vision for the future state of inside sales. No, no longer were we the redheaded stepchildren. That was the that was the key there, I believe. And uh, and from that, the AAISP was born, the American Association of Inside Sales Professionals, having grown into a global community for like-minded inside sales professionals. The AAISP is our industry's leading resource for advancing sales reps, leaders, and organizations. Bob maintains a video channel. Inside Sales Studio that discusses trends and tactics relevant to today's progressive inside sales leader involved in their organization's digital transformation. And that's all she wrote. But before we get to Bob, we got a sponsor of the show, NeuroNoodle. Hey, parents and athletes, get a doodle your noodle. That's a brain map before the season starts because unfortunately, doink, something happens. You need a baseline to compare it to. Get a brain map now at neuronoodle.com. It takes only 10 minutes to get the data you need to have the peace of mind to keep your athlete on the field. Schedule an appointment now at neuronoodle.com. All right, Bob Perkins. Inside sales. You're the man. He's so, the man. So, so you were you were in inside sales? You sold inside on the on the phone? Yeah, when we had a phone, that was it. Even before, even when email was just becoming popular, that's all we had, a phone and a damn Rolodex. That's all you needed. What, what about a fax machine? Uh, we, we, just coming out back then, uh, my, my first uh, phone, you know, it was a big kit like this. You lugged it in your car. But, yeah, we had faxes, yeah. And then you had a shoebox, index cards, uh, contact names, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, your old school. Yeah, i.e. ACT. Remember ACT? Oh, yeah. yeah. ACT, that's right. I was a Jeez. power user of ACT. Uh-huh. But before that, though, Bob, I <laughs> Index remember... Cards. Index cards. I, I remember my very... I <laughs> This is so <laughs> insane. I am, I am so 51 when I tell this story. I show up at my first sales job, and part of the part of the onboarding experience was learning how to like work my leads and run my accounts. Yeah. And they gave me a file cabinet that was like four feet long. Yeah. And and then you had the the uh, <laughs> months months of the year, January through February, and then you had days of the month, and you would take your files and you would move them at this was before there was like computers. Like that's yeah. Tell, 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 you know, let me tell you how I'm old without telling you. I was going to say, you don't look that old, uh, cowboy. Remember the nickname I gave you, the first leadership summit was cowboy. It was cowboy. Cowboy. Exactly. Did he he have one of those village people hats on or? (laughs) He did. He was coming from, from California. No offense. We had the first, uh, first summit in uh, Minnesota, just outside the great mall of, uh, of, um, that's right. Uh, yeah, and and I tell you what, being from California, that was freaking cold. So yeah, I had a hat on and a bunch of other stuff because it was cold. So I got a question for you. How do you feel? You know, talking about what you guys are talking about here. What was the first transformation in, of inside sales from filing cabinet to computer? But like, do you have like certain things that you were like, wow, that was when we started to actually change? Because I feel like. Sales hasn't the the whole process of selling hasn't changed 
dramatically or dra as drastically as other uh, as other areas inside organizations. I think mainly because the other organizations, it's all about cost savings and sales is all about revenue generation. Yeah. But I'm wondering, do you have anything, you know, that you can sort of say, hey, here's the timeline of when things started to change. You know, before my time, it was something called the Watts, W-A-T-T-S, the Watts line. This goes back into the, goodness, the 70s. And it was when someone could make a uh, 1-800 call. When 1-800 became mainstream, people could do business on a phone, right? They didn't have to mail in an invoice, mail in an order. I uh, remember back in the day when I was a little kid, you got the Sears and Roebuck catalog. You had to pick your toys you're going to get for Christmas and your dad, their mom. No, the, the lingerie out. section. <laughs> yeah. All that too, right? Come on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it was the telephone. But then, but then, you know, everything took off after that. And still, still, it's like, oh, wait a minute. You're not good. You're not the person that knocks on the door, goes, shakes a hand, reads the room, and I'm the real salesperson. Well, we know who the real salespeople are today. They're the ones that can sell, right? And face-to-face, -face, great. Remotely on Zoom, even better. I don't have to waste time traveling. But so, so you were so you were a door knocker. You did outside sales little, back in it. I did. I got my start with. I was a school teacher. I, I failed terribly at that. Uh, couldn't couldn't manage a room full of uh, middle grade, you know, seventh eighth graders. Got into sales, and um, I liked sales, but I loved leading, and I loved leading a team. And then I went from a field sales leader manager role to something called telesales, and I called up my friend. What is telesales? He says, hey, Bob's, it's everything you're doing. You just do it over the phone. I go, well, okay. It can't be that tough. And a year in, I just I fell in love because we were the underdogs, right? We were the uh, bad news bears. Of, of a very large, successful, high-tech company called Unisys. And I made it my mission a year in. I go, I, I will prove them wrong. And three years in, yeah, we had fax machines, and we were faxing. Orders were faxed in. We faxed out proposals. And I said, if you did this without the help of a field rep, put it on pink. And I started this cam campaign called Think Pink. Think pink. And we did, I think, the first quarter, five million bucks. I went to the first QBR with all these, you know, big ego field sales reps and leaders, you know, saying, and I handed them like a stack of pink fact sheets. And I said, five million bucks, no field involvement. And that was the beginning. Remember when inside sales was frowned on? Like uh, I was, I was in the yellow pages, and it wasn't like the regular yellow pages. It was an offshoot of the yellow pages. You know, yeah, the I fingers remember. do the uh, fingers do the walking. They never trademarked it, so anybody could do it. So yeah. you get called in the office Monday morning, seven a.m. You make so the boss makes sure you're up, and then they said, "Get the hell out of the office." You couldn't schedule anything on the phone. You couldn't do anything. You just had to go out and, and pound doors. I, I, I'm amazed how it, that's transformed from going outside to inside, the efficiency of it all. And then also, I don't know if it was Intercall or whoever the conference call company, the minute that conference calls started to come in, things started to change. Is that what you remember, Bob? Oh, totally. 
uh, and, and you carried a briefcase when you went out on those. Yeah, of course, we all had briefcases, right? I don't know what I had, what the hell I had in them that mattered, but you know, can you imagine yeah. that? Um, yeah. yeah, well, conference calling was big. Um, you, you guys are going to laugh. I was literally on an old fashioned conference call about two months ago and I'm on there and I'm listening. I'm going, what the hell do I do? And I hear beep, beep, doo-doo, doo-doo, people joining. And wow. all of a sudden we started, somebody led the meeting and I go, this is chaos. How did we ever do that? Now that yeah. we have this, we but didn't know yeah. no better. We didn't know no better. That's for sure. Bob, so how do you, short, how do you, so it started with uh, 1-800 numbers as one transformation, right? Let's, yeah. let's well, PBX. The, no, before that, it was the PBX. The PBX. Yeah. Because, yeah. It, because it used to be that, that there were only a couple of numbers inside the organization, but when mm-hmm. organizations started to install their own PBXs, then you could call and talk to a specific person. Mm-hmm. So PBX, extension. 1-800 numbers, conference calls. Is that sort of like, where I'm just mm-hmm. trying to like, while we talk through this journey is sort of timestamp that the three iterations during your generation is well and, and fa- facts facts is in there too because that enabled you to transfer information around in real time and, and of course yeah, I remember you, the, an email an email hmm. and you remember the remember the flip phones and, and huh. oh my gosh i can text somebody is this the coolest thing and i remember way back when i go we're going to be texting customers. People are like, no, never. It's personal. No, yeah. here we yeah. are. Seriously. Guys, look, it's a matter of time. You know, we will be doing all of this stuff on a, on a watch. I mean, we, we almost are today. Yeah. Um, and then holograms are going to come in. And, um, you know, but, 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 yeah, look. but let's talk about, we yeah. should talk yeah. about what hasn't changed because all of this technology, yeah, we maybe. all live through the inside sales transformation. But guess what? There's still a lot of organizations where the inside sales team is viewed as, as junior varsity, right? Some. It's, it's, it's changed a lot because we're all inside sales starting you know, March 2020. Everyone was inside, period. Yeah. I mean, there was hardly any travel, maybe a little bit. But um, we all became inside sales. But here's the thing. It's not inside and outside. And you're right, uh, Justin. It's not technology. Um, one thing hasn't changed, right? And just think about think about your own teams over the years. How many of you had a, two or three just amazing salespeople, right? We all did. We had the top tier, top performers. Why? You know, why then and why now? It, you know, how come people can't just get into the sales job and succeed? It's a high, it, it, there's a lot of turnover. There's a lot of people that barely make it to the minimum standards yet we think we think we 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 think it's in technology we think it's in metrics we think it's in you know better sales training and there's nothing wrong with all those things they're all good but what is it today and i don't care if you're doing it on zoom i don't care if you're going face to face what makes a great salesperson still a bit of a mystery today well, a cynic would say, a cynic, a, cynic. <laughs> a cynic would say it's less a function of the person and more a function of the proposition. So a smart salesperson, instead of going to work for ACT, would go and work for Salesforce. Now, are they, are they a good salesperson because they have incredible communication skills or are they a good salesperson because they chose the right organization to go work for? Well, we take that further, though, wouldn't you say it's also territory? 
right? I'm going to go work for an account like Salesforce that maybe is breaking into a new area that hasn't been untapped and has these huge accounts. But I'll, I'll challenge that a bit. You've heard this, this saying in golf, it's better to be lucky than good, right? Well, sure. I've had three hole in ones, right? But can I play professionally? Far from it. I, I got lucky on a couple of those hole in ones, but I'm not a great golfer over time. And the same thing holds true for sales. I mean, the, think of those high performers. They can go from industry to job. They can work for a shitty company, a company that's, you know, killing it. And they still end up being high performers. What is it? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, pro- the one of the problems with sales is the, the, with, with variable comp is if you change organization, you basically go back to the baseline. And if you're clipping the ticket on your clients' transactions, you need to build up a base of clients and then, and then you become locked into an organization and, and sure. it, it's hard, hard to leave. Of course. Um, um, I mean, I, I, I've seen salespeople who will, will pick, job, pick jobs that enable them to earn high commissions without, without that lock-in and will jump from organization to organization. Yeah. And I think it's probably a combination of two things. I think they probably have good communication skills, but I think they're also talented when it comes to picking the organizations to work for. You know, here's something that's bugged me about performance uh, since I started at Unisys uh, close to 30 years ago. And people would say, you know, sales is a number, numbers game. And I couldn't agree, disagree more with that. Here's why I say that if it was a numbers game, couldn't anybody do it? You know, I remember, hey, if you make enough calls, you'll have enough conversations, you'll have enough, you know, demonstrations, you have enough opportunities in the funnel and you'll get closed out. But if it was that easy, you just do the numbers and outcomes and mm. sales. And it, that's not really the case. So is it a better classification, Bob? So is it a better classification, Bob, to say then that sales, not just inside sales, but sales is more of a science than it is art, but the art will never go away because the art of having a tremendous business conversation is, uh, is, is, you know, hard to quantify. I'm posing that as a, as a question and hopefully we have a cynic on the call. Well, well, here's the good news. The good news is, and Kevin, you and I were talking about this before the show started. And that is AISP uh, recently merged with a company called CVI corporate visions. Uh, They have a a dedicated research uh, division called B2B decision labs. They are doing, what I call real research, not surveys, right? Not, you know, ivory tower surveys and say, Oh, here's what so-and-so is doing. They're actually uh, uh, talking with customers, buyers. They're finding out what is that special something that produces results. And uh, in the next year or two, we're going to, I think peel back the onion, uh, another couple layers on this. So maybe two years from now, we'll know more than we do today, but it's still been this, this kind of a bit of a mystery, uh, they got to have fire in the belly. Well, of course, right. They got to be a good presenter. Sure. Right. They have to ha- be professionally persistent. Yes. But yeah. Isn't, our, it like our, sport? Isn't it like sports? I think in hockey, they talk about shots at goal or in one sport. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I, I follow tennis. We don't have such a thing, but yeah, but, but uh, it's probabilistic, right? Uh, 
uh, if you have 10 shots at goal, at goal, maybe you score on three of them and that part of it's probabilistic, but if you can't play hockey, you're not going to get any. And I think it's the same in sales. You, there are critical skills that you have to have to have shots at goal, shots at goal. The, the old school example from Brian Tracy is you got the guy on the street with a cup and pencils and, you know, want to buy, want to buy, want to buy. Eventually he's going to sell all the pencils. Just the efficiency is not going to be there. All this technology that we're talking about, isn't technology supposed to help you speed up a process? So you have all these people that buy all these things. What do you call it? Tech stack. So yeah, they have all this they have all this stuff and then the the underlying foundation of the process isn't there. Look, it's sales, okay? I like the term old school sales, okay? It's your job is to talk to as many people that have the ability to buy your product as fucking possible, okay? Mm -hmm. Everything else is bullshit, okay? That's old school sales. Yep, yep. Pick up the damn phone. Pick up the damn, right. Action. Yeah. No, no, I agree. Caveat to that is, totally agree with that. Caveat to that is, they better be good conversations. Uh, I worked recently with a, a newer sales rep and they just didn't have the, you know, they didn't ask the right questions. They didn't establish rapport. They didn't make the other person feel special during the, during the dialogue. So you, you certainly got to have, you got to know how to navigate, right? Um, you've all, you've I, all, I, go ahead. I call that audible ready. You need to like, yeah. The great sales reps out there are like the Peyton Mannings and the Tom Brady's. They they call audibles at the play, right? When you're in a call and you're doing sales, if you're not audible ready, which means you don't understand what the client's looking for and you're just following a path, you're you're going to be less efficient. Here's a great here's a great evidence of that. So my son, uh, who I couldn't believe he got into sales, he had a history major, never thought he would follow my footsteps. He did inside sales, account executive. He, he called me about six years ago and said, Hey, I think I'm going to make president's club. I'm like, and in, in my mind, I'm thinking, how did you get so lucky? <laughs> did you know, did you get a big, you know, you know, a low hanging fruit deal. And, and so he invites me to club because we, I pay for all the golf at club. So we did a year later he goes, Hey, I think I made club again. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And I'm thinking this guy yeah, he's a good kid. He's sharp, but he's, he's not that, he, he can't be a good salesperson. <laughs> we went on vacation up in the Finger Lakes and he, he goes, I have to, I have to take a call with a, a client that we're working through a proposal. And he went out in the living room and I went in the kitchen I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> I heard for 20 minutes. I go, holy shit. Uh, His questions were amazing. He didn't talk over the person. He did 30, 40% of the talking right? He, he moved the deal to the next stage. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Now, when you're in the presence of a great salesperson, they, they just command it. They know how to move. You know, it's like, it's like miles. They have miles of experience on them and they, they know how to do it. I mean, that's Uh, all, that's all recruiting, isn't it? What? You know, the people that do the listening that aren't selfish, isn't that, doesn't, you know, the recruiting take care of that? And it's all about the the foundational process. I guess it's art versus science. I think we have some art people here, and I think we have some science people here, and we're going at it here. I'm on the science side. Well, I think it's a false, no, I would say it's a false. Oh, here we go. It's a false dichotomy. There's definitely, 
I mean, what Bob's saying is his his son knows that knows the terrain, right? Mm-hmm. And there's no there's no substitute for that. You have to know the, the terrain. I mean, he knows how to navigate his way around a, a, a selling conversation. You can't fake that. Uh, but it's still probabilistic. I I I'm a science guy, but I do believe that depending on what your what product you're selling, if you're in startup sales, you could be a great salesperson. But startup is more of art than science because you need to figure out what is your message, what's going to hit home, and how are you going to sell this? And that's not really defined. But if you're at a company that's been around for 10 years like Salesforce, you know what you're selling. It's a, you could be a great sales rep there and you don't need as much art. That's more science. I wish I knew what the right um, you know, blend of the two, a uh, little evidence of science would be Steve Richard, you know, Steve, mm-hmm. uh, Vision. He has a story that he uh, started for, um, oh, uh, I forget the name of the, the company. It was a big research firm, um, and he was failing. It was like at the bottom of 40 people. He didn't know what to do. He was trying to, he had a good work ethic. He said, I'm going to go pull my chair up to the top two sales reps. So he did it for like a week. He soaked it all in. He learned the language they use. He learned how they opened a call. He learned how they overcame objections. And he modeled that. So to me, that's, you know, maybe a little bit of art in there, but there's also quite a bit of science to that. How do you ask a question? How do you move something forward? And he moved to the top uh, within a year, he was in the top 10%. Mm -hmm. And he credits modeling uh, success um, by, by, you know, observing it and, and modeling it. So well, let, let's go for the throat right out of the gate, Bob. Yeah. Where, how do you, how, where do you stand on scripts? Well, um, let, let's, let's talk about good performance by, you know, people that have to perform and do well and know what to say and how to say it. And that's an actor or an actress, right? They are very much scripted. Um, yeah, they call audible. So I believe that you need to be, comfortable, confident, prepared where the, the meeting's going, but certainly, you know, I like to call it an outline, a call guide versus for sure. You don't want to read off a piece of paper because it's going to sound like you're reading off a piece of paper, but I think it's very important that you, you have an objective for the call that you know how to set up a call. And some of those things are going to be, here's the agenda outline. Well, you need to have an agenda, right? We all agree with that to, to move a call to in the right direction. You need to have next steps in mind. So yeah, mm-hmm. there's, I, I, I have no problems at all with scripts. Providing mm-hmm. it's not, you're reading something off a piece of paper. Yeah. You know, Justin, when you set up, uh, when you consult with clients, do you establish standards of how a call is supposed to run? Yeah, so we we definitely we're huge advocates of scripts and huge advocates of role playing, but we don't try and script the whole interaction. So we script pivotal sequences, and then the salesperson can glue them together. Um, but the initial call to a stranger absolutely has to be scripted. Every salesperson has a script, whether they mm-hmm. recognize it or not. Yeah, it's just yeah. most of them are pretty shitty. I mean, every, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you listen to the same person being interviewed on two or three podcasts, you realize we all have scripts. We all, we all say That's the same right. thing over and over again. We got a script. We're not using it. Right. Hey, guys, here's a, here, a if I could come back with a, a follow up question to all of us here. 
And we, we have something at AISP called the CISP Certified Inside Sales Professional. And every final exam is a role play by a third party grader. And they have an outline of how they earn points, introduction, overcoming objection, open-ended question, confirming questions, all that. And time and time and time again, they earn points for doing it well. They earn no points for pitching. So if they, if they find a pain point, I listened to one this morning, our computers have too much downtime. We need a higher reliability product. The, the minute they found that pain point, what did the rep do? Said, well, I'd like to share with you that our computers just won a Gartner award. And I'm like, you, you absolute idiot. But tell me, tell me, why do we think as salespeople, we have to tell I, know, I can tell you exactly. Telling. I can yeah. tell you this is. I I feel so passionate about this, Bob, and I'd love to love to hear what the other people on the call yeah. say. Sandler calls this spilling your candy in the lobby, but it's a natural re, uh, natural uh, uh, learned behavior over time. Justin, you're in class, you're at university, and the professor calls on you and says, Justin, can you give me the square root of, you know, 64? And you're like, it's eight. And you're, you get points for responding quickly to the answer to the question. <laughs> and, and we've been trained to, to respond quickly. Otherwise, you're a doofus if you sit there and you don't answer quickly. And so that, you know, like I said, Sandler calls that spilling your candy in the lobby because you just can't wait to start telling them all about your stuff. But the great salespeople say, tell me more about that. Yeah. Oh, I agree. We used to call it throwing spaghetti at the wall. <laughs> you know, if you chuck enough, some will stick. And uh, I think they're so used to objection overhandling that once they hear something they, that they can respond yeah. to they at it rather than just put it in your back pocket and get more discovery. And figure out if that pain point is really what they Wait, hold on. We're, we're talking about different levels of reps here, right? Because you can say, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. And they never fucking try to close them, right? And they say, okay, thanks for talking, you know, goodbye, right? So don't you got to kind of marry the two? Yes. If you're trying to close something for $100 or $500 or something like that, you could probably close it. But you're trying to sell something for a couple hundred Yeah, but if you're a new rep, that's what you're doing. Well, actually, Pete has a Pete has a point. There's this yeah. misconception that you start a selling conversation by asking questions, and that's true for a lot of interactions because most most of salespeople's interactions are in response to an inbound inquiry. And if that's the case, you can start by asking questions. But if you start if you stop someone in the street or interrupt someone on the telephone, and you want to ask some questions, in order to get in order to ask questions, you have to have a mandate. And in order for them to award you a mandate to ask questions, you've got to lead with some compelling, uh, some compelling proposition. But but you need you, you need like a sentence or two, and then then you need the, the, the person you're talking to to scratch their chin and go, uh-huh. As, as, as much as I don't want to right. talk to a salesperson, I'm afraid I'm gonna to have to ask this prick a question because he just said something that made me think. I get it. If it's a year and a half sales cycle, I'm just talking about the situation where you start the call off where uh, if we both agree that there's a fit, I will be asking for your business to set the expectations. Yeah. Do you, do you Nothing know what wrong I mean? With that. Nothing wrong with so, that, though. Different sales cycles. Yeah. 
I, I think, yeah. you know, Bob, I don't know about you, but like, I, I think all of those things can still exist that, yeah. Jane, you know, that, that Justin talked about and that Pete talked about. I think that the absence of questions and absence of deeper level questions is a, is a huge problem continually, you know, in sales, whether you're selling something that's a hundred dollars or a hundred thousand dollars, I think that problem still exists. And, and Justin, to your point, I think they call, uh, you know, the, the challenger sale calls it those, you know, those aha moments, those learning moments. You've got to earn the right to be in front of the customer to then be able to ask those questions. And if you don't come to the table with something that's insightful, like you said, they haven't have that aha moment or that light bulb over their head type of moment. There's no way that they're going to allow you to sit there for the Spanish inquisition of questions. Yeah, I think you I think one thing you can't fake is you need to know more than your prospect about the particular domain. Uh, uh, th there's no way to fake that. Yeah. And I think a problem That's a right. lot of junior people have, junior salespeople have, is it's obvious to them and to the prospect that they don't know more. I mean, if you know more, you can be comfortable and you can say to the prospect, it's, it's you know, wh why, you know, why would you take that position? You know, are you sure that's true? And, and, and if you're a junior salesperson who doesn't quite understand the domain, there's no way that you're going to ask that. This is a great, this is wonderful. You, you know, I, I would dare say that what you just said is, is this secret, you know, sauce that great salespeople have. I'll give you a good example. A uh, brand new pediatrician, our son, when he was a year, two years old, was not gaining weight. This pediatrician, great, great guy and all that, but said, hey, we got to do this test. We got to do that test. We have to go here, here, here was this close to admitting him into the hospital for just observation, this and that. So I said, you know, my older sons had a pediatrician. He's, he's about ready to retire. And I called him up and I said, doc, so-and-so here's, here's the situation. We've tried this, tried that. And he just he paused for a minute. goes, have you given, have you given him a bottle of formula? I go, no. He goes, go try that. Done. So my wife at the time wasn't producing enough milk, right? And so I love, I get on the calls all the time with, with members that say, hey, I have a question about compensation plan. And they'll go on and on and on and tell me about this and that. And I go, well, let me ask you a question. So I, I kind of knew the answer because I've been doing comp plans my entire life. Did so, you know, let me ask you a question. Uh, did the product management team want to spiff on this newly released product to help move it? They go, that's exactly what it was, right? So, uh, Justin, I, I like, I really like your point on that piece, but how do you get there? A new salesperson takes a while to get there. You can't walk in and know everything, right? Yeah, so we, we, we're built, we, we go into clients and build inside sales teams from scratch. We, we're generally building the first inside sales team they ever have. So yeah. we, we, we want the new salesperson to learn their way into, into the role, you know, one campaign at a time. So, we're, you know, we'll start off by teaching them the script to get the conversation started until they're buttery smooth. But in that initial interaction, all they're trying to do is schedule an eight-minute briefing. Uh, but they're not going to do the eight-minute briefing. We're going to have a senior person do the eight-minute briefing, and they're going to conference in. And probably all they're going to do is schedule the next conversation in the flow. 
and until they gradually get to the point where they're capable, they, they've 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 sat in on twenty eight-minute briefings, they've heard all of the questions that get asked, they're confident that they can do them themselves. So they'll do the eight-minute briefing, but they won't do the executive briefing. Someone else will do that, and then and then we'll 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 let them take over one step at a time until they're competent. We're, we're getting back. Uh, otherwise, they just get incinerated. <laughs> uh, uh, if you have them trying to trying to have a conversation they're not qualified to have, they're just going to be incinerated, and you'll 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 potentially lose folks that have potential to be decent salespeople. We're, we're getting back into technology and process and efficiency. Because the, the new people, when they come on board, they're not really selling a product. They're selling time, right? They're trying to get somebody to set an appointment for somebody else to, you know, come talk to them. And, Justin, you and I have gone head-to-head on, well, well, I don't want a new person talking to a new new customer. When did these BDRs come into play? They've always yeah. been around. Just think, yeah. you know, Reco and Boiler Room. And, Boiler and, Room, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what, when did that process come into place and how did that affect inside sales, Bob? You mean, when did it become fashionable again? <laughs> yeah, fashionable. Yeah. Old school. What, what, what's, what's, you know, what's old is new again. Um, the, the role has been around for as long, maybe, maybe even longer than traditional quota carrying full cycle inside salespeople. Maybe. I don't know. But, you know, my 30 years ago back at Unisys, we had uh, business development and they were trying to find new company, company uh, people, contacts that had interest, moving that out to the field sales rep. Um, well, I think I think it became, you know, it, it started getting hot again, probably around 2000. I'm going to just take a guess at this 12, 13, 14. It really started peaking around then. And um Remember, remember, we 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 were really big on this uh, role diversification, right? And there were a lot of movements out there. Hey, do not have a salesperson wasting their time cold calling because they really want to demo, you know, propose and close. Kevin, you're shaking your head. I mean, you you know, you've been you've seen all that. And is this is this good? Is this a good thing? Lately, there's questioning: Is there a good ROI on the BDR SDR role? Yeah, so I, I would say to you that there are conditions under which the appointment setters work and some where it does not. Uh, at ZipRecruiter, we built five, I built five SDR, BDR teams, and only one of them ended up working. And that was because the deal size was $50,000, you know, a year. But all the other ones were, you know, too small where we couldn't get the conversion rates up or the deal velocity up or the deal size up to justify the incremental expense of the of the BDR. Like, look, this is a marketing function. There's no question about it. I want to generate MQLs or SQLs for my, you know, for my team. <clears throat> and adding that human expense, loaded or unloaded, whatever you want to do, uh, it, 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 it doesn't always work. But I think that people think it's a panacea, that it is a solution for ev- for everything, let's we got to build a BDR SDR team. Well, why don't you step back and ask yourself, like, does it make sense right. to build an SDR and, B- and or BDR team? At so least that's, a pra- that's my a experience. Practical, there are more ways to do division of labor than one, and there's a practical problem with this B- 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 SDR or BDR idea, and that is that um, you end up creating a job that no one wants. And the problem is, if all you do is start conversations and then pass them off to someone else that's finishing them, you get all the pain and none of the pleasure. 
uh, you don't get you, you you know with sales the challenge is there's delayed gratification but if you if you with, with the with the SDR role there's there's no gratification whatsoever so when when I say that we will have the salesperson schedule a briefing they never hand the opportunity off to someone else they own the opportunity all the way through to the end and they get to ring the bell themselves even if all they did was on, on day one, all they've done is schedule conversations for someone else to have. It's still their deal. They still win it. They still get to win the bell and go home and tell their significant other that they won a $10 million deal. Are they on uh, the, are they on that eight minute call with the, yep. Uh, yep. 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 They're, they're on zoom along with the, yeah. you know, let's say we have an application engineer who runs, who runs the call because they they don't have experience or they, we have an experienced salesperson maybe, you know, in some cases, there'll be an experienced salesperson and there'll be an application engineer on that call. They're on every call. Uh, it's their deal. The minute you take the deal away from the person, you create a job that no one wants. And when you have a job that no one wants, you end up with a ra- rapid reduction in the quality of the SDRs. Right. So na- now you've got annoying 22-year-old nincompoops uh, 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 and, and you're back to the boiler room model. I agree. I mean, I think BDRs and SCRs have been are overused right now. Everyone has them. Everyone needs hey, them. Hey, Mr. Revenue, Carney, like how do you, when you put a sales plan together, is it a pain in the ass to go explain how you're going to have these people that carry no quota? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In, in front of a board, it's like, mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you do that? If you understand what? the value of a qualified opportunity, it's yeah. easy to model that shit. Trust it's me. Very easy to model, and it's actually cheaper. You, the argument you always do in the from a financial perspective is acquisition through a BDR is cheaper than acquisition through an enterprise sales rep. So therefore, it's a no brainer that the financial guys are all going to say, go do a BDR SDR. That's the incentive. That's why everyone does a BDR SDR is because they think it's cheaper acquisition. At the end of the day, there's a lot of BDR SDRs that may be acquiring connections at a cheaper connection, at a cheaper rate. But it goes nowhere because the handoff, the, the, the problem with that silo between the handoff, um, they're not connecting with the right people, but they're just getting a higher score. Well, when you're doing a BDR, the whole point of doing a BDR is you can acquire a, a new client cheaper than you can with just spending marketing dollars, right? Agreed. But that, the problem is no matter what you're going to say, it's cheaper. It's really hard. It's really hard to say this BDR did this. Because especially with the long sales cycle of like anything over, you know, a month, it's really hard to say, did the BDR really contribute? Isn't the assumption that you get a better return on your more expensive sales exec? Yeah, exactly. It's an efficiency play. I agree with Justin there. So the the fallacy here is the idea that, that people make money as opposed to activities making money. And like, and, and you don't see the same mistake made in manufacturing. No, everyone in manufacturing understands that if you employ a welder, it's not the welder that makes money, it's the welds. So a welder is only valuable to the extent that they're welding. N- now, a salesperson, their unit of value isn't welding, obviously, it's having selling conversations. But if we talked about how do we maximize the volume of selling conversations or ha- how do we equate cost with selling conversations, I think the argument for BDR would diminish very, very quickly. We don't want to maximize the return on a, a sales executive's time. We want to maximize the volume of selling conversations we can have uh, 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 per dollar. 
Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. 100% agree. Yeah. No. So Bob, I, I, I would love for you to tell our listeners about the AAISP. Um, what, what is the AAISP? Mm-hmm. What do members get out of it? And for God's sakes, please tell us about the AAISP leadership summit. I love that <laughs> summit. So tell Tell us all about it. <laughs> well, we're a global uh, community, right? Like-minded. We're largely made up of leadership ranks, although we have a lot of a lot of uh, SCR, BDR, sales executives, you know, several thousand. But uh, many of the events that we most of the most of the events we put on are, are are based for leadership. The leadership summit, Kevin, which you came to in two thousand nine, it was. Uh, I think April, 2009, just outside the mall of America, we had 50 people, uh, back in 2019, our last one before the pandemic, we had 850 people and uh, a lot of global attendance, by the way, you may, uh, listeners may not know this. We just actually had our leadership summit a few weeks ago in Chicago. It's every year we put it in Chicago. We'll be back there in April of 23, and, and uh, we had 500 people show up even on the tail, you know, the tail end of the, 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 the latest uh, variant of the COVID. Um, and uh, we have a retreat coming up in May, an executive retreat. Who's who of uh, uh, Kevin, have you been to a retreat? I don't know if you've been to, you might never could get, never could get my company to pay for the retreat. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, so I'll, I'll put it out there. You come next time. It's on me. How's that? Cause we got, you got to get to a retreat. It's I my, would, it's my favorite. It's executives coming together and doing what we just did here, digging into, Hey, I love it. How do you model an SDR? You know, what about scripting? This is, we dig into it deep. Love it. It's yeah. This is, listen, if you want to know what's, what's catapulting sales, I got to say sales now more than I say inside sales, because I think we're on the verge of a sales enlightenment. I really do. And, you know, it's gratifying to have the AISP sort of play a little bit of an instigating piece in that is what we Hmm. did, right? We brought in thought leaderships. We, we beat it out. We, we figure it out. And, uh, but I think we're at, you know, we got the opportunity to be on a cusp of an evolution, a transformation of sales, you know, let's, let's get back to serving the customer, to listening skills, to, you know, I like what Justin said about knowing more than the customer. It's not always going to be possible, but know, know enough to be a thought leadership, to add some value to that conversation. That's what selling is. I mean, just picture this. Think of the last interaction you had when you bought something and you were like, my gosh, this salesperson gets it. They know exactly what I'm going through. That's what, that's what selling is more than it is making 60 calls to get, you know, five people to take a meeting. Now you got to do that. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's got to be under this framework of what I just described. Anyways, AISP, you know, get out to our website, www.aaisp.org. As I mentioned earlier, we just merged with CVI and B2B Decision Labs. I couldn't be more excited because there were 10 of us trying to solve a lot of stuff. Well, uh, B2B Decision Labs is going to bring support, research, and uh, thought leadership to the community of inside sales professionals. And you know what? Let's 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 just call it what it is. Sales is sales is sales, right? And um, I, I think you know. I think uh, yeah, it's great to work on Zoom. It's great to go out and meet people. 
you know, I meet clients of AISP face to face and there's nothing like it. So there's, it's great too, but sales is sales. Let's, let's, let's be in this together. Bob, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. It was My great. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Sassholes. On behalf of Jamie, KG, Justin, and myself, Pete, we thank you for listening. And we ask that you give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to your newsletter and the podcast notes. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. That little click, I'm telling you, that sets in motion the wonders of the algorithms. You can always buy us a beer on Patreon slash Sassholes. We thank you for listening. Cue the music.